You're listening to a sermon from Lakeview Baptist Church. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm, Psalm 43. That'll be our passage today. Brother Tom read to you Psalm 42, most uh, Bible scholars believe that Psalm 42 and 43 go together. They were probably meant to be one, but sometimes in the course of adding chapters and verse numbers, uh, they get separated, although there was a divide, but they still were meant to be together. And so I will sort of complete and just uh, preach from Psalm 43 uh, today, uh, if you have that. In 2015, Joe Kennedy... Uh, a coach at Bremington, Bremington High School in Washington State uh, was relieved of his coaching duties because he had gone to the 50-yard line and was praying after games. Somewhere along the way, it began with just him praying, and then maybe some of the other players joined him. You can read different accounts of the story and probably get a different version along the way, but The school board, in essence, fired him uh, because they thought it was uh, infringing on the religious rights of the the kids or leading in religious duties. It became a long case. It went through several courts. Uh, But if you have followed some of that story, you'll know that uh, last fall, the Supreme Court issued a ruling to say that he was fired unjustly and he had the right to pray at the school in that situation. And I too, I rejoice. The essence of this story, though, what caught my mind about this when I saw it sort of pop up on my phone a few times in different news release was during those seven years, during those seven years, what all must have he felt and struggled with along the way? He said he started going and praying because he had saw the movie, uh, the, the, the uh, tell me again, Facing the Giants. And he was inspired by that movie that, that he should pray to. In essence, he was saying, I, I just was trying to obey God. And yet he lost his job. And then he went through all of these court cases and and of course, you know, being uh, judged and, and all of these thoughts that were just being printed about him along the way. What feelings he must have struggled with, the why, how long. In some sets, we, we, we get a bit of that from Psalm 43 today, where the psalmist begins by saying, vindicate me, O God, plead my cause, uh, rescue me. And so our message today is hope in God, hope in God. The Psalms as a whole is a series of songs and prayers of King David and then other worship leaders. Uh, they actually are not just during the life of David, but they, may, they, they cover several hundred years, even into the period of the exile, some would say. But one of the reasons the Psalms resonate with us so personally is because they reflect the heart of man as he relates with, to God and walks 
this walk of faith. They represent all of his experiences and, and emotions of life's ups and downs, the good, the bad, the joy, the sorrows. Frank Gaberline, in his uh, introduction to the Psalms, his commentary just said this, just to quote just a short part. He said, the Psalms mirror the faith of Israel. In them, we receive windows that enable us to look out on our brothers and sisters in the faith of more than 2,500 years ago. Yet the Psalms invite us to experience how God's people in the past related to him. And I would add to how they communicated to God through these experiences. Psalms is my favorite book. I, I almost read a psalm every day. And wherever else I'm reading in the Bible, it's just like I just have to read a psalm too. Because it's there that I just sense that, that emotion, those feelings, but not just the emotions and feelings, the truth. And what's far, far more important, the truth about God. So this, the psalms in general, and this psalm, models for us how we can relate to God in the journey of faith, but it communicates a knowledge and a relationship with God that determines hope, a hope in God. But it's a hope based on what he knows about God. All of us have multi, multiple experiences of life, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the sorrows, the joys. The good, the joys, the ups, well, they're, they're usually pretty easy. But it's the downs and the bads and the sorrows that challenge us most. But it's in those times we, we are reminded from Scripture that there are truths about God that helps us have hope. And so let us look at Psalm 43 this morning. And I want to just kind of point out very briefly uh, five truths about God that help us have hope. Five truths about God that help us have hope. Basically, one truth. I just want to highlight one truth from each verse as we go through this. First verse, again, the psalmist says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. The psalmist in this situation, turn to God, and he's praying, he's talking to God. This, this, is, this is his prayer. He says, vindicate me, plead my cause, rescue me. Those three, those three phrases, those three prayers represent his heart as he turns to God. And, and in general, he's looking to God for help. Obviously, from the situation, we see it's, it's a dire situation. Uh, some, some, some would think that uh, Psalm 42, 43 is, is sort of in the setting of an exile because he's, he's, he feels away from God. He seems to be uh, not in Jerusalem. He seems to be uh, separated from the temple, from the, from the city. Uh, and, and, but there also seems to be a hindrance. He, he, he makes a reference to an ungodly nation. Somehow in this setting, is, he, he is where he is because of an ungodly nation. 
maybe that has taken over the land or that is prohibiting him from returning to the holy city, Jerusalem, returning to the temple, returning to that place that the Israelites considered the the city of God, Jerusalem. They considered the, the, the temple to be the place of God's dwelling. They considered that to be the place where they would go and meet with God more than any other place. Now, the reality is they could talk to God anywhere. And you had many holy men that experienced and, and had a relationship with God that talked to God all over, the, wherever they lived. But in their mindset and in this situation of, of where they are in their journey of faith, there was something special about Jerusalem. There was something special about the holy mountain. But the setting, obviously, is such that there's a hindrance there's an exile, maybe. There's a, there's a persecution. There's a judgment. And think about this. He's saying, vindicate me. Vindicate is, is to infer some type of unjust accusation. But it also says, he's saying, make it right, God. To vindicate me means he doesn't think he's wrong, but others think he's wrong. He says, vindicate me. I've been treated unjustly. He says, plead my cause. Again, some, some indication that, that he's being falsely accused, falsely judged. Then he says, rescue me. Rescue me. We, we sometimes think of, of this, this term rescue is, is like when there's just no way I can save myself. I need help. Rescue me. It's like being stranded on the island and you've seen it in the movie and they build a fire. They, they put SOS with the logs or whatever signal. It's like, I need rescue. I can't get off. I can't do it. This is what he feels. But in essence, he's, he's crying out to God for help. Well, that's, that's a good place to, to turn. But think about these three words too, though, just to take it one step further, because I think in all of Scripture, we're reminded that, that uh, it, there's, there's a gospel element to all of Scripture. And, and think about these words, vindicate, plead my cause, rescue. Don't you see this? That he, he's, he's, looking for, he's looking for a justifier when he asked God to vindicate him. He, he's looking for a mediator, an advocate, when he says, plead my cause. He's looking for the deliverer when he says, rescue me. And the reality is, that's what Jesus is to us. He's all of these things to us. God is our help. But this is the reality of the Christian life and, and where our situation may not be just what the psalmist is. And, and it says at the top of, of Psalm 42, this is a masculine of the sons of Korah. So it's not David himself writing this, but it also, we need to know, it's, this is more than just one writer or even maybe a team of writers. This is Scripture inspired by God. These are words inspired by God expressed through these men, but they are the words of God for all time, for all men. They're for us today. And so again, like Frank Gaberling, it's, it's a mirror 
The faith of the Israelites is a mirror for us. Situations are similar. It, we, we are in a battle. We sometimes are treated unjustly. Sometimes we find ourselves in a helpless, hopeless situation. And, and, and the reality is we, we are in a battle with Satan. We are in a battle with this world, uh, uh, an ungodly nation. Like, like Joe Kennedy found himself being treated by his own nation. And yet all he was trying to do was live out his faith. But I think the truth is, if it could very well be that, that all of us would find ourselves in situations like this as we truly tried to live out our faith in everyday life, unfortunately. But we have to, 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 to realize in these battles, we cannot take them on alone. And like the psalmist, we need, we need God's help. We need to cry out to him. But the good news is God is our help. Psalm 46.1 says God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm or Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13.6, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The, the scriptures are full of these verses that talk about God as our help. So we learn God is our help in verse 1. The second truth we learn is in verse 2, God is my stronghold. He says, you are God, my stronghold. It doesn't get any clearer than that. It's a simple declarative statement. Five words, you for, he says, you are God, my stronghold. He says the same thing in verse 9 in, in chapter 42. When he says, he says, God, you're my rock. In the same essence, he's saying, you're, you're my strength. The psalm, what is a stronghold? It's, in, in, it's basically a defensive structure for safety. It connotes here, one, again, this battle, this war, uh, this threat and it could be a, a, a battle, but it also could be a storm. It could be just a, a place, a need for safety. The reality, God is our stronghold. Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10 says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Well, the psalmist uses this word here. In verse 2, he says, I'm oppressed by the enemy. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In other words, he's, he, the Lord is the one we can go to when we feel this threat, this oppression. Those who know your name will trust in you. Again, that, that, that phrase, that, that truth, those who know your name, who know you, will trust in you. If you don't know God, you can't, you can't know to turn to God. For the Lord has never forsaken those who seek him. Now, that's not to say the Lord will not allow us to go through hard times. We know Peter and other places in Scripture teach us that, that if, if you live this Christian life, you will have troubles along the way. They too will come our way. But God will be our help. God will be our stronghold. I want you to note, though, first of all, he, he makes this bold statement. 
this truthful statement, God, you're my stronghold. And then what, but look what comes right after that. Two questions. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning? Oppressed by the enemy. It, and, and, but, but what you see here is the psalmist just being real, vulnerable. Showing us that this, this, is, this is what he's feeling. And it's interesting, isn't it? Even though he, 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 he knows the truth and he can state it, but what is he feeling? And it says something about our, our life that sometimes our feelings are not always matching our knowledge. But it begins with knowledge. And the reality sometimes, sometimes even though we know God is faithful, sometimes when we know God is a stronghold, but in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the, the attacks, we still say, God, where are you? Why is this happening? Well, you know what the Lord, the Lord says, listen, in Holy Scripture, He says, this is just a reality of your of your feelings and your emotions. It's a lament. It's a lament where we, we just cry out to God and, and we, can, we can be honest about these things, but God is approachable and He allows us to come even with our feelings and struggles. But in the midst of, of who we are in our struggles and just the realness of, of our weakness and our doubts sometimes, He reminds us, but you need to remember the truth about me. I'm the God who is your help. I'm the God who is your stronghold. I am, I am the God that is real. And so, so he says, why have you rejected me? He feels abandoned by God. He says, why must I go about mourning? Mourning is an expression of deep sorrow of someone who has died or, 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 or has someone died. So, so he, he is almost feeling like this, this emotion of death. This is how strong this experience is. He says, my, why must I feel oppressed by my enemies? He's feeling like things are out of control. He's lost his grip. He's not winning. He's, it's, it's, the battle is, is winning. And yet, the truth is, God, you're my stronghold. You are the one I turn to, I go to for refuge because you are strong. And the reality is God does have a stronghold is a place for safety. God is the person that we go to for safety and refuge. But also it's because God has a stronghold on us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forget us. As he said in as the, the, the John, the gospel writer said, or Jesus said, he says, never, he said, nothing can pluck you out of my Father's hand. Romans 8, 26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, sometimes we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Even when we're weak and in our prayers, the Spirit helps us cry out to Him. But Psalm 18, 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation. Colossians 1, 17 reminds us that He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. God is our stronghold. He has control over all things. 
So we see that God is our help. God is our stronghold. And thirdly, we see God is my light and truth in verse 3. The psalmist puts it in a prayer request. He says, send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Again, you see the setting. He, he, he wants to go where he believes God is, that holy mountain. He wants to go to where the dwelling place of God is. Well, thankfully today, we know that God has put his spirit within us because the temple is, the importance of the place of the temple is no longer in Jerusalem, but in the new covenant, we become the temple of God. God's spirit dwells within us. So we don't have to go to Israel. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to the Holy, to the Mount. Those are good places to go, by the way. I've been there. Historically. But we can come into the presence of God wherever we are. He holds all things in Him. All things hold together. God is our stronghold. God is our help. And then He says, send forth your light, your truth. He, he, he prays for this light and truth. Re remember in verse 2, He felt rejected. He felt like he was in a dark place. And notice what he's saying. Send forth your light. God, I, I, need, I, need, I need some light here. But he's also struggling with probably feelings that he knows is wrong. And he's, he's asking God to remind him of this truth. He prays for light to guide him. Interestingly, isn't it? John 8, 32, in, in the seven I am statements, what are one of them? John 8, 32. Jesus says, I am the light. And in John 14, 6, he says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in essence, again, he, he's just asking for these things, these, these workings of God, but they come from the very essence of God. God is light. God is truth. We've all gone through hard times, but we, we also know what it, what it feels like to stumble around in the dark. When you need a light. I've told this story years ago, but some of you are new today, so I'll tell it for you. But years ago, when Tom and I were first married, living in a, another home, we went to bed one night. Uh, little did I know that Tom had decided to rearrange the furniture that night after I went to bed. And so she left a trunk in the hall. This is back in the day when the phone was, you know, on a table in one room. So I'm in the dead of sleep. We're both in bed of sleep. The phone rings. I'm a pastor, so you never know if there's an emergency. So I jumped out of bed, and that was when I was young, and I could jump out of bed. <laughs> and I ran down the hall. That's when I, I don't run down the hall anymore. That particular morning, I found Thomas' trunk in the hall. And I just hit it about shin high and just went, tumbling in there, and I landed up against the wall upside down, and I'm going, oh, oh. That sweet, godly voice in the bedroom said, you all right? <laughs> <laughs> Never got out of bed. <laughs> we learned two things. I don't go 
down the hall in the dark anymore. And Tama doesn't rearrange the furniture after I go to bed. It's, it's how marriages grow. In the dark, life can be a dangerous place. And sometimes situations make us feel like it's dark because we don't feel the presence of God. The reality is God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But he does allow us to go through the wildernesses. He, he allows us to go through trying times. And, and, and our feelings, our feelings sometimes feel like darkness is all about us, even though the God of all light is right there by us. But the psalmist says, send forth your light, send forth your truth. The Lord is my light, Psalm 27, 1 says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 19, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. John 14, 6, Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in these things, God's light and truth speak to us internally about the things that are going on in our life externally. But it changes the way we can feel because it's the faith of our heart connected to our mind that says, I believe and I trust in God. We have to remember who God is in our trials to have faith to trust in Him. G. Campbell Morgan said this. Tom, I actually read it in a book and she shared it with me while I was trying to watch one of the ball games. That should say something about the differences of our spirituality. But I heard just enough as I was preparing this sermon. I actually heard her. So, Tom, I heard you. I, I texted her later this week. I said, what was that quote by G. Campbell Morgan? And he said this, he says, our joy is in proportion to our trust. Our trust in proportion to our knowledge of God. We have to know these things about God. We have to know that God is our help. God is our stronghold. God is our light. But then verse, verse 4 also says, God, notice this, God, he says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the harp, O oh God, my God. Numerous times in here that personal pronoun, my, is used. because And don't miss that, it's important. Because we're not talking about a God that, that's out there that others know and that we can say exists, but he personalized it and he says he's my God. He knows him personally, intimately. Joy here is, is just a perpetual gladness of, of the heart that comes from knowing and experiencing, trusting in Jesus. That's what G. Campbell was, was saying. Our joy is in proportion to our trust. Trust in who? Jesus. Our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. Do we know who God is? Delight means to take great pleasure and satisfaction and happiness. But, 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 but don't, 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 don't miss what he's saying. He, he is saying... He's not just saying, God, give me joy or give me the, the delights of my heart. He is saying, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, to God, my joy. To God, my delight. 
The difference here is just this right here. It, it would be saying, do you love being a grandparent? But do you love being a grandparent more than you love the grandchild? See, being a grandparent is a byproduct that there is a grandchild. Which one do you love more? That person or that title? Which, what do they give you? Which do you love more? What God gives you or do you love the God who gives? God is my joy. God is my delight. See, but, but before you can have joy and delight, what does he say first? He says, then I will go to the altar. I'll go to the altar. The altar is the place where you go to make the sacrifices. The altar is the place where, where death occurs, dying to self. The sacrifices are for sin, payment of sin. There's confession of sin. That is the place also where life is birthed. Death first and then life. That's what Jesus said. Unless the seed is, is cast into the ground, it cannot, cannot live again. Lest I am crucified, I cannot be resurrected. Unless I die for your sins, you cannot have life and forgiveness of sin and have eternal life. He went to the altar. But it was at the altar he met his God. And after this altar of, of worship and sacrifice, confession, then he found his God, his joy, his delight. And guess what happened? I will praise you. Worship. Worship. This joy of, of, of delighting in the Lord and, and expressing praise and worship of this holy God. He says, I will praise you with the harp. There's a good word for your orchestra, isn't it, Brother Adam? This, this musician used his tools, his, his gifts as part of his praise. Now, all of, us, all of us don't have the gift of music, but we can praise the Lord in different ways. I was in Uganda on a mission trip a year or two ago, and the worship in some of these African villages are just so different from what we experienced, and they're so special. And uh, one of my, our, our, our just fondest memories is this lady that was just running up and, well, yeah, running up and down the aisle, blowing a whistle. Now, they had musicians up there, but she had a whistle. It'd be like one of your whistles, Coach Maddox out on the football field, that kind of whistle. And it was loud. She was just blowing one, one, one note. But she was running up and down, blowing that whistle. And I, I don't mind saying it. it was almost irritating to the feel of the ear. But then I just, I just saw the joy of that lady worshiping the Lord. Well, I was inspired, Brother Adam. I'm, I'm going to get one of Coach Maddox's and join your orchestra, <laughs> if you'll let me. But, but given our life in praise and worship to the Lord, that's what God created us for, His glory, for us to worship Him. If, if we are not finding ourselves on a regular, daily basis, coming to the altar of God, coming into the presence of God and praising 
Him, worshiping Him, not just waiting for Sunday when we do have the orchestra and the choir to lead us. But in every day of our life, if we're not finding ourselves coming before the Lord in worship and praise, we're missing much of what God intends for us to have. He's our joy. He is our delight. Do, do, do we find joy and delight in anything else more than just God Himself? Most people know I, I love to play golf. I enjoy being out on a golf course. They're beautiful. I don't win much these days, but I enjoy the scenery. I enjoy the experience. But honestly, I had to ask myself the other day, I said, much as I like this, could I live without it? I said, yes, Lord, as long as I have you. Golf is really nothing, though. What about our home or our possessions or, or even family? Do we delight in the Lord himself more than anything else? He's worthy. But here's the conclusion of this. The last truth, God is my Savior and my God. And it's, 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 it's a conclusion, but it's also where the psalmist leads us because he says you can't know God as your, your help. You can't know God as your, 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 your stronghold or your joy and delight or light and truth unless you know Him as your Savior and Lord. And he, and he asks that question for the third time if you, if you connect chapter 42 and 43. And it's almost like a conclusion but also a, a positive conclusion this time. It's different. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? In light of everything else in the world that's not always right and good and just and perfect. But he says, regardless of these things going on in our experience, he says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. And again, that those two personal pronouns, my, my Savior and my God. Here's the in truth. To know God as your personal Savior, your Lord. It's not, there's a difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. It's a personal saving relationship. To know the Lord as our Savior. And yet, here's the essence of the gospel. It's, it's here, he reminds us in this end verse, what helps us back in verse 1 when he's pleading, vindicate me, plead my cause, rescue me. You can't, you can't be justified. You can't be mediated. You can't be, you, you, you can't, you can't be redeemed or delivered unless you know the Savior. So this is where we are. God is calling you to put your faith and trust in Him. To know Him as your Savior and Lord. And I would say in this room, many of us, most of us probably have done that. But if you, if you are here today and you hear these words and the Spirit of God is just speaking this question mark in your soul, I'm not sure I've done that. 
God is inviting you to know him as Savior and Lord today. And in a few moments after we partake of the Lord's Supper, we will have an invitation. And in that invitation, our pastors will be at the front. And if you want to respond to God's invitation publicly, unashamedly, almost desperately, and come down the aisle and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved today. The invitation is for you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.